The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, August 11th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and needless to say, it's been a wild day in the world of college athletics. Just days after the MAC and Mountain West announced they will not have college football in the fall, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announced the same thing, with the Pac-12 taking it a step further and announcing it will have no sports competitions until at least 2021. That means there will be no Pac-12 teams playing college basketball before at least January. If we're being honest, uh, this has been expected for a while, so it's not out of nowhere news, but it's still something to hear it become official. So, Norlander, let's just start here with Mm -hmm. your reaction to today's Real Big College basketball headline. Well... uh I this was expected. Uh, by the way, I got to just mention real quick as we start here. Have you seen the video of Urban Meyer talking on Big Ten Network and there's a half naked guy behind him? Have you seen this? Uh, you know what? I saw somebody tweet it. I meant to watch it and I oh think I got distracted God. by something. So I haven't I haven't actually watched it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my God. GP, this has been a day, man. I mean, for like in the middle of all this and I'm going to answer the question, but like. We have, by the way, we have a VP pick. Like Kamala Harris gets announced. Pac-12 sports are out until January 1st. There's a half-naked dude walking behind Urban Meyer, which is a throwback to the NFL draft earlier this season. Because this <laughs> Urban Meyer doesn't realize, he doesn't realize that he's still on camera, so he's trying to make like a cut it out, no, no face. Don't know the story behind that. That's absolutely incredible. If you have not seen it yet, please go find it. That's search Bubba Prague. He's oh, that's just too too funny. Um, as for the news, man, this came on quick as in like I was working on another story that's going to go up later this week didn't even have Twitter open because I was trying to trying this thing where I, I try and focus entirely and having Twitter open is just terrible for your workflow as you can attest to GP and then got two texts in about 25 seconds that said uh Pac-12 probably not having basketball until January so then Uh, fired off about seven texts in about 30 seconds to people that I thought hopefully would get back to me. Three of them did and then confirmed it uh, that there is no Pac-12 basketball and in no no winter, there's no sports competition at any Pac-12 institution until at least January 1st. Now, this was expected in terms of that being the upshot of all of it it this is ahead of the timeline no this coaches did not even find out until 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes tops before the press release even went out there so yes as you and I've talked to coaches throughout college basketball in the past month plus they have been 
bracing for a conference-only season that starts in January. We've mentioned this on the podcast before, but for the Pac-12 to make this kind of move, which has echoes and shades of what we saw with the Ivy League about a month ago when it canceled all competition in all of its sports for the fall semester, which falls just shy of January. Um, so it's not completely unprecedented, but at the power conference level, yes, it is It is a significant thing, and I, I don't think that coaches, for the most part, were expecting this to come down explicitly today with basketball because the biggest news, Big Ten, Pac-12 football, pushed at least until the spring. But obviously it does have a, a big impact on college hoops, and is the this, to me, is the first big signal of the inevitable that we are not going to have college basketball in November and most likely in December. It just arrived on August 11th. I didn't think that was going to arrive until we got to September. That's exactly right. Um, you know, The Big Ten will make another announcement at some point, and the announcement will be similar to what the Pac-12 just did, which is we're not playing college basketball in November or December. We'll look up in January and see where we're at. I would assume other conferences do it. So what the Pac-12 did here is just take, I don't know, step one and step two and and package them and, and sort of, you know, get out in front of everybody other than the Ivy League. But you'd be naive to think other leagues, including other Power Five leagues, aren't going to do the same thing, right? I mean, the, the announcements might come tomorrow, next week, next month, mm -hmm. but we're, we're just not going to be playing college basketball in November and in December, I don't think. Yeah, no, I agree. So a couple things to report here. I've shared them on Twitter, but I'll do it in real time on the podcast as well. I hit up like five or six Big Ten sources. And just to be clear, although the Big Ten and Pac-12 have the same news tied to football, they're not the same with winter sports and basketball. The Big Ten has not indicated to its athletic directors and its coaches that there is any sort of imminent decision on non-conference Big Ten basketball play to this point. Again, they expect that would happen. In fact, I did have one Big Ten. This is a direct uh, quote from a text. He said, nothing uh, will be earlier than December 1st in terms of play. I think December 1st is the absolute best case scenario. But January conference only is going to wind up being the deal. That's basically what they're expecting there. So if you were thinking that maybe there might be a little bit of an addendum tied to the Big Ten end of this, like the Pac-12, that's not coming anytime soon, as in at least a few weeks there on that end. I do think other conferences will follow. What will be interesting to see is with the ACC, the Big 12, and uh, the SEC. And then if you want to include the Big East, which obviously doesn't have football, when those decisions get made on the football front, if winter sports also come along with them. Because as we talk on this college basketball podcast, we can't avoid the football end of this. Like football is more urgent. They're making decisions about that. But now that the Pac-12 has created this precedent, there will be at least a curiosity parish that whenever those announcements come, if they come with the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC on the football front, okay, are they going to make decisions with winter sports or not? I would, I would anticipate no. And again, a lot of these decisions to come in September, there is a point that I want to make that I think is important though. And I said this on CBS Sports HQ earlier on Tuesday. College football does not have its bowls or its college football playoff in the NCAA's purview. The NCAA has no say over how the bowl system works and hasn't for decades, okay? That's not true with college basketball. College basketball has the NCAA tournament. It is the prized possession of the NCAA. It is run by, operated, funded, everything is attached to the NCAA to run that championship. We may... And college football has been a disaster the past month. I think we'd agree, and I think a lot of listeners would agree, in terms of just how all of this has been handled because you have different interests in different conferences. College basketball certainly can fade itself to similar embarrassments down, down the way. I'm not saying that can't happen, but the reason why it may not 
and I and I take some of this based off intel I had on the record with Dan Gavitt, who who runs basketball for the NCAA, is that because the NCAA tournament is is run by the NCAA, the conferences and the athletic directors are probably going to be more in communique with with the home base. If you get what I'm saying here, to where decisions about the season. They may not all come at one day at one time, but I do think that the discussions are going to lend themselves to be released in a in a shorter period of time and much more in concert because college basketball's regular season, as we'll get to later on this podcast, is so directly tied to its tournament and at the NCAA level that when we get these decisions about non-conference play, while they are ultimately made at the conference level, I do think the implications and the impacts on the postseason are just much more of an urgent need-to-know basis in Indianapolis on the basketball side. So I have some faith, hopefully I don't wind up looking like an idiot, but anything's possible, that when we find out more about this in September, which is the self-imposed deadline, informal, but I think it's going to be that at the NCAA level, when we find out what, it, what exactly is going to happen with the, with the regular season college hoops. So with the Pac-12 announcing it's not going to have you know uh, sports competitions in 2020, uh, but for our purposes, college basketball, you know, I, you know, I, I haven't seen anybody make this point yet. Like, you know, CBS Sports Classic, that's now done. UCLA is a part of that. UCLA is mm-hmm. not participating. Can't, you know, I mean, you could pull in another program if you want, but I don't think that's going to happen. By the way, if you're the Big Ten, which has announced no football until um, the spring, um, I don't know how you can tell college football players that, or I should rephrase, I don't think they'll tell college football players, you can't play until at least the spring, but our basketball players can play in November or December. I don't think it's going to work like that. So that involves Michigan State, Champions Classic. It Mm -hmm. involves Ohio State, CBS Sports Classic. I have been operating under the assumption for a while, I've even said it on this podcast, like we're not going to be at the Champions Classic. We're not going to be at the CBS Sports Classic, but – um, it's more true today than it's ever been, which let's make sure we're clear on this is disappointing, uh, awful, understandable, understandable. It is understandable. Like when the greatest medical minds in this country tell us that doing these things outside of a bubble right now simply isn't worth whatever risk you would be putting in front of student athletes. Um, then you have to understand the decisions that are being made. Or at least if you're a reasonable person, you have to understand the decisions that are being made. Um, But it doesn't make it any less awful. Like, you know, I love going to the Champions Classic. I like watching basketball in November. I like writing about and talking about basketball in November. And now it appears um, we're we're not going to have that opportunity. Um, hopefully we will get basketball in some form and I do think we will and I do think we can and we'll get into that later but uh, you know I, again I, I joked about it I think on the last podcast or one of the previous podcasts our buddy colleague John Rostein is always uh, tweeting like you know uh, you know UCLA will host so and so on November 22nd as part of a bike game or whatever and I'm like yeah that's not gonna happen I mean I, I, I'm sure it's scheduled uh, but it's not gonna happen and now we know stuff's just not gonna happen yeah um, um, we, by the way, we are podcasting with new equipment right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to try something here on the fly. This is, this is, so yeah, Stanford was supposed to play in the Maui Invitational. Yeah, no. yeah I got a soundboard now. Be ready for it. Utah, 
Bahamas. Battle for Atlantis? No, not going to happen. Here are some other games that uh, are off the docket now. Michigan at Oregon in November. Arizona at Gonzaga in December. Arizona at Illinois. You got UCLA in the CBS Sports Classic, as you mentioned. Kansas playing at Colorado as well. Um, There's some other ones. I haven't actually gone through and bothered to look at uh, all of the Pac-12 games and the interesting non-conference ones, but those are some that I've seen come across my timeline in our Slack chat there. So obviously those plus plenty more are now affected. And ultimately, you know, if we're not going to have a non-conference, like all these games are going to eventually just mean nothing there. But, um, But in the here and the now, uh, I think that it is noteworthy to bring up those games. Also, um, I want to point out, and there was a story done, an extensive story uh, done at ESPN.com uh, by Paul Levinum, I believe Mark Schleybaugh, that went up on Monday. And the, basically it was about uh, a heart condition that has been found in multiple uh, Big Ten athletes that doctors and scientists believe is tied to after effects of contracting COVID-19. And because of that, uh, the Pac-12 specifically, which mentions uh, a lot of this in its reasons for canceling all sports until January 1 today, and the Big Ten as well, conferences, as they should be, and I'm waiting to see how long it takes all the leagues to get on this same page here. It's not just about keeping the athletes safe and trying to have negative tests. It's that you can't have a situation where an athlete contracts the coronavirus, gets COVID-19, recover, so to speak, and then two and a half months later, he's like Michael Ojo. Who's that? Seven foot two, former Florida State player, graduated, I think, three years ago, contracted the virus earlier this year, and died last week of a heart condition. Do they know for certain that it was tied to coronavirus and COVID-19? Not with 100% certainty, but there was enough early indications that give people that are learned, doctors and scientists, the people that actually know what they're talking about or have the intelligence and humility to say they don't know what they don't know to give them caution with all of this. You cannot have a situation where we have a Hank Gathers moment. It is an absolute nightmare where you have a player that winds up quarantining at a certain point in the season, recovers from COVID. We're all watching a game, be it a conference game, first round NCAA tournament game. It's the first half. There's 12 minutes to go. And suddenly that player just straight up dies on the court. That is what they are obviously keeping an eye out for. And with the Pac-12 making this decision, it's saying we need to learn more about long-term health effects with this virus and how it might affect the heart or the brain. There's been indications about blood clotting as well. So that is something that I I think can't be overstated enough, GP, is that, yeah, I get the the dumbasses with the wisecracks about liability. No, it's, it's very much about trying to keep these players safe and avoiding these kinds of devastating scenarios. Even if they are perceived to be highly unlikely, there's still the possibility that it could happen. So they are avoiding that until we have a testing plan in place that is way, way, way better than we have now, or obviously something with a vaccine or drug treatment that greatly increases our situation in this country with coronavirus versus where we stand in August of 2020. And if you're trying to figure out why the attitudes from Big Ten power brokers and Pac-12 power brokers changed so drastically over the past week. I mean, the Big Ten just announced their schedules, football schedules, like last week. And, you know, a week later, they're saying, oh, forget that. We're not going to play those games, at least not as previously scheduled. 
um, you know, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, has you know noted that the latest information they're getting has them really concerned with heart conditions because there's plenty of people out there and it's just maddening to read because it feels like it's one of those things really feels like this virus this entire topic is one of these things that it doesn't matter how many times you explain to somebody why they're wrong or why they're missing the point they just don't care they just keep doubling down on the same points so as it relates to this virus the thing that some people will consistently yell is that you know the, the, we're talking about 18 19 20 21 year old healthy athletes young healthy people for the most part even if they do get the virus they're going to be fine and you know and by fine they mean they'll survive like you're not going to die from this virus if you're 20 years old and while that's not technically true, I mean, young people have died from this virus. It is true that if you are young and healthy, you almost certainly will not die from this virus. But strictly pointing out mortality rates um, and, and screaming you'll survive if you get it as long as you're young and healthy misses the point entirely that there's a whole lot of bad stuff between dying and not dying and yes it's true most student athletes who get this virus will survive it but survive it under what circumstances we don't know we don't know yet um but the latest information that suggests heart conditions like i believe the, the report was that there are five big 10 athletes at least five who have contracted covid19 quote unquote recovered but now have heart conditions where they would not be allowed to play if competition was starting tomorrow. So the fear of the long-term impact this virus could have on a student-athlete's body just made it, frankly, from a liability perspective, um, very tough for, at the very least we now know, Big Ten officials and Pac-12 officials to put their student-athletes into competition under these circumstances. And I'd add one more thing. I've seen some people, um, our, our colleague at 24-7 Sports, Brian Snow, being among them, um, ask the question, how can you invite 20,000 students back to campus, but then say it's too dangerous to play football? And while I'm respectful of the question, it seems like there's a pretty obvious answer to that. When you bring students back to campus, um, whether it's you know 2,000 or 20,000, there is actually a way for them to social distance at all time. Now, if you want to be skeptical that they'll do it, I'm skeptical as well. It's why I think these college campuses are going to be nightmares. But th- there are at least protocols in place that allow for it. Um, Desk separated, um, you know, uh, wear a mask at all times. However, each university is handling such things. But when it comes to college football and also college basketball and really most team sports, you are asking students to at some point in their day do the opposite of social distance. You're asking football players to tackle each other, to lay on each other, to breathe on each other, to sweat on each other. You're asking basketball players to guard each other. What does that mean? Touch each other, get close to each other. 
um, you're not asking normal students to do those things. In fact, you're instructing them how not to do anything close to that. Again, will normal students follow the protocols? I, I have my doubts. But it is at least possible, in theory, to bring normal students to campus and not have incredible outbreaks. Because if, if they do as instructed, perhaps it'll go well. Um, with, with football, you're, you're telling – uh, student athletes, okay, when you're in class, socially distance, wear a mask. When you walk around campus, socially distance, wear a mask. Don't go to bars. Don't be around other people. Uh, but practice is at 3 o'clock, and I'm going to need you to tackle this guy 20 times in a row. It, it's just, it, I'm not saying it couldn't work or that it was impossible. I'm just saying that there's an obvious difference between asking football players to play football in the middle of this pandemic and allowing normal students to attend college classes in the middle of this pandemic. There's also been some wondering out there from casual fans and media people like, well, why wouldn't you just draw up some sort of a liability waiver that gives players the complete option? If you're not comfortable playing, don't play. That's fine. But if you do want to play, uh, we'd like you to sign this saying you are aware of all the risks herein that are tied to coronavirus and basically absolve the university's responsibility with that. Uh, the NCAA is not going to do that. It stated as much last week and plus there is just mountains of skepticism that any such liability waiver would actually wind up even holding up in court if things really met a disaster scenario so if that is one of your default well why can't we just have a season where it's completely the player's choice empower the players let them sign liability waivers uh the people that are paid to know the most about these things i.e the lawyers uh, have informed ncaa council and university presidents plenty of whom by the way these presidents of these universities um I'm not saying they're all very, very smart across the board, but to get to that kind of level, it's it's not impossible to be a dummy, but it's really, really hard to be a dummy and become a university president. They are also uh, plenty experienced and knowledgeable when it comes to these kind of things. So that's not something that's on the table. It might have briefly been, but the NCAA has eliminated that possibility as well. Um, so the question now becomes, given that we know at least one power conference is not going to play basketball before January. And we expect others to announce the same. Can we have basketball in January? And if so, what does it look like? I wrote a column earlier today detailing how college basketball can be played during a pandemic. And we're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
So I wrote a column earlier today detailing how college basketball can, in theory, be played during a pandemic. Norlander, uh, before I get into the details of my plan, I know you've been talking to people about this, same as I. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said earlier today that college sports, quote, can't be played in a bubble. And with all due respect to Larry Scott, um, I don't think he could be more wrong about this. Um, And others in college basketball, conference commissioners, I know also think he's wrong about this. When you talk to people about the idea of, and my plan involves conference bubbles, when you talk to people about the idea of this, they at least acknowledge it's possible, don't they? There's an acknowledgement that it's possible. There are ongoing discussions that I think are even more than tertiary at this point about this. Now, I have not read, I have not read your piece yet, GP. So I definitely want you to inform me and the listeners uh, at the same time here. I am also working on something that I think is going to go up on Wednesday. I hope this Pac-12 stuff hasn't bumped things back. Uh, but mine is purely tied to the NCAA tournament. So as you explain what you laid out here in a column today, I know you touch on the NCAA tournament as well, but I sh- <laughs> for anyone that's hoping we can have an NCAA tournament and wondering about what it's going to take for that to happen and contingencies, please go find my story when it publishes because I have put in a lot of time and a lot of fun effort into laying out all the different kinds of things. But, um, but for your purposes here, GP, what was your, I know what your piece is centered around, but what does it detail and how do you square putting college players into a bubble when they are unpaid college athletes and doing that explicitly does acknowledge something that makes a lot of college leaders uncomfortable and that it's, we're going to put you in a bubble for the express purposes of entertaining us and making us money because it, that's how we can have any sort of hope of continuing to have our athletic department run on any sort of a, of a normal protocol for the next five to 10 years. Well, I guess I would push back on the premise just a little bit and say that um, I wouldn't say that you're putting student athletes in a bubble strictly only to generate revenue for athletic departments. You're putting them in a bubble so they can do what they want to do, which is play basketball. So you're not asking them to do something they don't want to do simply to create revenue. It's something that they want to do. And if they don't want to do, obviously, they don't have to. One last thing I would say about Larry Scott saying it's, quote, you know, you can't, can't. I mean, that's the word. Can't have college sports in a bubble. Um, You and I both know other conferences are discussing it. It's been reported by others that other conferences are discussing it. The fact that other conferences are discussing it suggests that you can do it. Otherwise, they would just go, well, well, what are you talking about? We can't do this. It, you know, Larry Scott said we can't. Like, Larry Scott might not want to, and that's fine. But the idea that you can't is simply untrue. So here, here's my plan. And, I, you know, I, I, I wrote in the column, you know, I'm flexible on the specifics. But the, 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 the format is, is put together in a way – that I think is totally doable. The first thing you have to remember here is that the NCAA tournament generates more than $900 million a year in ad revenue. It's it's nearly a billion dollar. I was about to say, say that number again. Yeah. 900. I believe the last NCAA tournament generated $933 million in ad revenue. So we're talking about nearly a billion dollars. So let's just think of this from a common sense perspective, which is all I've done. You got to have that tournament. You have to have the tournament one way or another. You got to have the tournament. And by the way, somebody very high up 
in the NCAA who is going to have a role in deciding what happens going forward has said that exactly to a coach who I know. We have to have a tournament and we will have a tournament one way or another. So once you decide the goal, and I mean this as literally as I can say, it, it's the only goal. It's the only thing that's important. Being fair is not important here. Making sure everybody gets a, you know, same amount of games is not important here. Having the tournament on television for three weeks is the only thing that matters because it's worth roughly a billion dollars. Let me just, yes, hold on. Before you continue, let me just loop this back with what we talked about in the first half of this podcast. You're absolutely right. And even more so now, because you are you are almost certainly eliminating college football season. We're not getting into the spring stuff, but if you can't have it, it is it is just devastating to athletic departments, to college towns. It is there is truly a second financial reckoning that's going to be coming with that. We already lost out on one NCAA tournament. What Parrish says there is hundred percent accurate. If they can in any way, shape, or form justify playing a tournament in twenty twenty one, it is going to happen. But as I hand the ball back off to you. The only way that it can happen is you have to have a regular season. We can't just simply have a tournament and only a tournament. That's not going to fly. So how are we going to do that, GP? Right. You have to provide the selection committee with enough results so that they can produce a bracket. And this is the way you do it. Um, The biggest mistake college football made is assuming all along that everything would just work itself out. There is a quote that's been circulating since April from Dabo Sweeney, the Clemson you know, future Hall of Fame football coach, a big prominent voice in the sport, and him saying, this is America, man. Um, greatest country on the planet. Um, we're going to kick this virus in its teeth, and, you know, Death Valley is going to be rocking, just like always. Now, that was a nonsensical when he said it. It's even more so now. The truth is, America hasn't kicked anything in its teeth other than itself. Um, we, cre- we were never going to be able to keep this virus out of this country, but the way we've responded to it is dis- disgraceful. Like um, there'll be books written about how our country failed to properly get this virus under control. But the idea that even under the best of circumstances, we were going to have Clemson's football stadium filled um you know, to the top in early September, like that was, it was wild, but Dabble genuinely believed that misguided as he was. And other people in college football seem to just, I think the quote from Dabble was, man, this is April. Remember he says, man, September's a long ways away. And it was just like, Oh, that's so far away. We'll be fine by then. We're not. Okay. When he said it, September was a long ways away right now. September's three weeks away. So, the point I make in the comments, college basketball cannot make the same mistake that college football made, which is just assuming you're going to be able to do it outside of a bubble. Maybe you will. That would be awesome. But you better start making plans that are executable to do it inside of a bubble right now. So here's my plan. You have college uh, players you know, on their campuses, just like they're living right now, and they start Uh, you know, you give them a break now. Once you know you're not starting in November, you can give them some time off because you don't want to have a, you know, a bazillion month training camp. So give give them a break to like just get away from basketball. But then you bring them back in. I don't care what the date is. Let's call it early December. And you train on your campus 
and still follow all the protocols that have been in place since student athletes have been back on campus. Um, you train on your campus, uh, practice December, early January. Now, my dates are flexible, but I'll put actual dates on this just to you know show how this could actually be done. Each league will be instructed. So there's 32 conferences. Each conference will be instructed to start preparing to have a conference-only bubble. Um, now, if some conference decides they don't want to do it because it costs too much, that's fine. We'll see you next year. Or, the, or like the Ivy League, which if it punted on playing altogether, it wouldn't shock us, GP. The Ivy League says, you know what, we're out. Right. If, if somebody decides they don't want to do it because it costs too much, that's fine. We'll see you next season. If somebody decides as a league they don't want to do it because they just don't feel like it's the right thing to do for whatever reasons they have, that's fine. We'll see you next season. If a player on a team that is participating decides he doesn't want to participate because he doesn't think it's right or safe for whatever reason, that's fine. We understand. But everybody will be instructed, if you want to be a part of this thing, create a bubble. You, can, you, you decide where you want it. You figure out the logistics of it. And then in theory, on January 10th, you travel to wherever your conference bubble is. And upon arrival, everybody's tested, quarantine, literally for 10 days. And, and test, test, test the whole way. January 20th, we're starting games with teams playing on average every other day. And if you do that, if you start on January 20th and you play on average every other day, you can complete a 20-game conference schedule on the weekend of February 27th, 28th. On March 2nd, you start your conference tournaments. That's a Tuesday. So if you've got a conference tournament that normally starts on Tuesday, start it. you got one that normally starts on Wednesday, start it Wednesday. Again, the dates are, flex are flexible up to you. The only requirement is that you complete your conference tournament by the afternoon of March 7th, which is now going to be Selection Sunday. That's a week earlier than it's currently scheduled for March 14th. But the reason you want to have it a, a week earlier is so that once you establish a bracket, everybody can then. And this is a part where, um, I, again, there's different ways to do this. This is just my way. Um, we're going to have a, a bracket of 64 teams. We're just slicing four spot because we don't want to deal with GP, the first. I swear to God. So I haven't read your story yet, but like you're getting into stuff that I hit on my, in my pace. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Like I, I'm, 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 I hear you a hundred percent, but I'm pissed that you're included this because yes, <laughs> okay. absolutely. hundred percent. This is the year 68 stupid. Right. If we can hold a 68 or team tournament, we're holding a 64 team tournament. It's pointless to have the extra four teams. We're going back to 64 for 21, 21. Continue. That, that's exactly right. Now, my reason isn't because I need to uh, cut the four bad teams. It's that we don't want to have to have these play-in games because that's what they are, and then bring a team to a bubble and then have to quarantine. It's 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 unnecessary steps. What we're going to do is have a sixty-four team bracket for this year only, and we will create four regional bubbles an East bubble, a West bubble, a Midwest bubble, a South bubble. And you find out on March 7th via Greg Gumbel what, where you're at. So if you're in the West, well, then you travel to wherever the West bubble is. And so 16 teams will be in the West bubble. You get there, test, and then you quarantine. We've got a, we, we're not starting into the tournament until March 18th. You arrive at your regional bubble on March 8th. Test, quarantine, prepare we start the NCAA tournament on time 
First round, March 18th, 19th. Second round, March 20th, 21st. Uh, third round, uh, I mean, you know, Sweet 16, March 25th, 26th. Elite Eight, March 27th, 28th. And on the night of the 28th, we now know who's in the final four. You create another bubble. Let's say in Indianapolis, because that's where the final four is supposed to be anyway. You fly the four participants, you know, ideally to Indianapolis on the night of March 28th. They get there, test, 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 quarantine for a few days, final four on April 3rd, national title game on April 5th. We crown a champion. The NCAA deposits a $900 million check. Everybody's happy. All right, so... We have differences here, and I'm not going to give up my entire story because it hasn't been published as of us uh, doing this podcast. Maybe by the time you get to it later in the week, maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. Um, but, okay, a couple things here. Uh, first of all, what GP's laying out, like these are the ways, generally speaking, that the, that the leaders in college basketball, the NCAA conference commissioners, and hopefully the presidents are going to try and get, get all this done. I do think there are some issues with uh, the regular season and getting it done with how you laid out, but I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not. I do think that can be achieved. There's also things that we are not going to get to on this podcast because we're going to have to talk about them probably 17 times later this year when you only have conference play. You don't have cross-pollination of – you don't have a separate universe of non-conference play where you can compare teams as results versus others and common opponents and common opponents once removed and twice removed. So because of that, your metrics like the net and Ken Palm, they're basically out the door there. So we'll, that stuff will be down well, there. Well, actually, they're not. They are. Think. Trust me, they are. I've talked to like five people in the sport that deal with that kind of stuff, and you cannot use metrics if you only have conference games. It's not possible. It does not work. You can't do it. So if, if can, you think it is, can, lay it out for me. Ken Palm can evaluate teams without uh, – like, Ken Palm can evaluate Gonzaga even though Gonzaga doesn't play the same schedule as Michigan. Right, but you can't evaluate Gonzaga when it plays only teams in its own conference versus Michigan playing teams in its own conference. Gonzaga's efficiency numbers aren't going to be the same, and you're not it, – it just can't work. Ken Palm himself has said this. You cannot do it. You will have a faulty rating system if only if you only have in-league games. Yeah, well, some people would argue the rating systems are faulty anyway. So, like, they'll just be more faulty than usual. And either way, you use a common-sense approach to this. It's not perfect. I'm not trying to pretend it is. Building a bracket off of 20-game conference-only schedules is not nearly as nice as building a bracket off of, I don't know, 34-game uh, schedules with, uh, with, with teams from all different leagues playing each other, conference tournaments, all that. But we're trying to do the best we can. And so I understand Gonzaga playing nothing but West Coast Conference teams is not going to have the same type of quality wins that Kansas playing Big 12 teams would have. But if Gonzaga comes into season ranked in the top five and they look the part running through the WCC, then they should be a number one seed in the NCAA. I tournament. get you. And then you get into the eye test. Again, different different podcasts, different podcasts, okay? But like, like these are small way. problems. I, I when, know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. When, when you're weighing them against a $900 million okay. check. A couple things from my piece that I want to point out. In mine, no, we aren't having conference tournaments. Eliminate them. You put more urgency on the college basketball regular season than it's had in decades. You win your conference regular season title, you get the automatic bid. Don't even worry about the folly with the conference tournaments. We're not going to have fans in the stands. They aren't going to be net gainers anyway. Regardless of that, you get rid of them there. Okay, with the tournament... You No, there's not four different sites. There's one, and it's Indianapolis. Indianapolis is actually set up to be able to pull off, no matter the size, but let's call it a 64-team tournament. It has, and I have verified this, it has the ample hotel room space and venues to actually do this because of all of the, not even just sports, but 
conventions, etc. The NCAA has more than enough hotel room space to accommodate 64 teams, particularly if you limit the traveling parties to about 25. That's players, coaches, trainers, just enough people. Limit the numbers, you can do it. And plus, all these teams that go to Indianapolis, they can play. I really don't want to give it too much of my story, but I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this right here. You can do it in Indianapolis, greater Indianapolis, and here's how you do it with the sites. You can do four sites or you can do eight sites. If you do four, you do these four. You do Banker's Life, Home of the Pacers, Hinkle, Butler. You do Indiana Farmers Coliseum, which is a legitimate uh, arena that's the home of IUPUI. And then you probably do Assembly Hall, which is an hour south of Indy. Now, if you only do four sites, the con is that you bring more risk in because basically what you would do is you would have twice the amount of teams using them. So think of it this way. Uh, you'd have Banker's Life uh, on a Thursday hosting first round games for for 16 teams, or for 8 teams, excuse me, and then another 8 teams come in the next day, the Friday. Then the teams that win from Thursday play again on Saturday, and the teams from Friday play again on Sunday. You can do that. It just takes a lot more effort to consistently clean around the clock and do the venues. If you want to stop that and you go to 8 sites, well guess what? Indianapolis is built for that tremendously. You can do Mackey Arena, home of Purdue. That's 70 minutes northwest of Indy. You can do the Holman Center, home of Trivia Time. Which school has the Holman Center, GP? I do know this. No cheating. But I'm not. Is that, is that, uh, is it Indiana State? It is. It is. Okay. In, okay. Your seventh venue, Worthen Arena, home of? Um, that is, um, that is, Valpo. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want me to do? Ball State. So, of course. Okay, that's seven venues. Bankers Life Fieldhouse, Hinkle Fieldhouse, Indiana Farmers Coliseum, Assembly Hall, Mackey, Holman, Worthen. Those are seven. There isn't another college arena that is within 70 or even 80 or 90 minutes or fewer to that, like Notre Dame, too far out, Valpo's too far out. Uh, what's at the southwest corner of Indiana? There's another D1 school that I'm blanking on. But guess what? This And this is where the, the NCAA, similar to the points you made, GP, we have to be willing to be flexible with a lot of things, be it bracketing procedures, conference tournaments or not, AQs, and how we are creating sites that are eligible to host these things. I think eight sites is better for the first weekend. So the eighth one would be one of the 11, not 11, there's really six or seven that are within a 78-minute drive in Indianapolis high school gyms. How about this? Indiana home to 11 of the 12 largest high school gyms in the country. There's one in the Indianapolis greater metro area. That's Southport High School. Capacity is north of 7,000. If you didn't want to use that, you could go to Newcastle, the, the place that Steve Alford built. It's the third largest high school gym in the country, and the largest <laughs> one is in is in. Uh, Indiana. Why, why, do, why do we care about capacity? We're not having training. I'm, I'm just because, you know, the building itself might have to have certain things in order if you want to televise it in locker rooms and stuff. That's why. Because it's the first weekend. That's why. It might need to have the facilities to host it. So if you didn't go Southport, you go to Lloyd E. Scott Gymnasium, the largest high school gym in the country, can fit like 8,500 people. So anyway, I'm, what I'm saying here is, yes, I'm with you on the bubble, but it's one city and it's one city. This is the last other thing I'm going to share with you and then I'm not steal, I'm not spoiling anything else in this in this. Uh, in this story. Here's how you do it. One city, two weeks. Yes. And the other thing you pissed me off with, correct. You got that 10 day quarantine. I'm exactly with you. Okay. Because, and we don't know if this is going to be the case or not, but I do think this will be the case here. I get, I'm dude, I'm GP. I'm fired up right now. I need a Greg Gumbel dropping this on my new soundboard. You got me all revved up. It's the middle of August. I might make a, a, a new, um, 
composite intro. <laughs> like it's like it's the end of February again. But okay, so what we're hoping for is mm-hmm. when we get to March or April or May, whenever we do it, whatever. Let's not worry about that timeline right now. That we have testing that is cheaper and can turn around results quickly. Right now, the University of Colorado is optimistic that it can have a saliva swab test that is effectively, you know, 100%, 99.9% accurate and gives you results in less than an hour. Do you know how much of a game changer it is if we had a saliva swab test that was readily available, which, by the way, the NCAA, as we talked about, like they're going to have this tournament if they in any way possible. They will foot whatever bill they can because the key to having a tournament, it's not just testing. Um, it is frequent test testing. So you end the season. You, you, have, the, you have your field, no matter how big it is. On my version, yes, just like you said with the regular season, you cor- everyone goes to Indianapolis. You quarantine for 10 days, and you literally get tested when you arrive, and then you test every other day or hell. If the tests are cheap enough by that point, you literally test every day because what you want to have here, obviously, is a tournament that's legitimacy is not compromised. You need to have three, four, five consecutive days of negative tests across the board for every single team that's in the tournament. My piece will have plenty of stuff about if you test positive. I'm not even getting into that. The last thing I'll mention is this. Here's the schedule. You get there, you wait 10 days, okay? If you're within a 250, 300-mile radius, you're mandated to bus in. If not, the NCAA pays for charter flights like it does every single year. Here's the schedule. 64-team tournament in 14 days. After the 10-day quarantine, day one, first round for the left side of the bracket. Day two, first round for the right side of the bracket. Day three, second round for the left side of the bracket. Day four is the second round of the right side of the bracket. Guess what? You're down to 16 teams in four days like usual. All those other teams, get the hell out of there. We're good to go. Day five is the off day. Now, this is where you're going to have to be willing to shrink the schedule because it's not normal times. These dudes have played AAU ball and played God knows how many games in in five days. They can handle, in a best-case scenario, six games in 14 days. So day five is the off day. Day six, you are going to the Sweet 16 on the left side of the bracket, which means you were done if you advanced on day three. So you got day four and day five off. Day six, the games would start in prime time. So you really get two and a half closing on three days off. Sweet 16 on the left side. Day seven, Sweet 16 on the right side of the bracket. For those listening at 1.5 or 2 speed on this podcast, I apologize because I'm roaring right now. Day eight, you have Elite Eight games on the left side of the bracket. Day nine, you have Elite Eight games on the right side of the bracket by the end of day nine we have four teams left the next two days are off days day 10 and day 11 you get to recoup day 12 is the final four then like usual day 13 is the off day and the 14th day a true fortnight is your ncaa tournament title game give it to me okay <sighs> you done don't tell me that wasn't awesome okay you got an issue I, you got an issue with my system well here's here's what i would say in the column I specifically write that I am flexible on the specifics. Um, I'm open to other ideas. My plan, as it is, is 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 merely a one format uh, that could be altered in a many different ways. Um, I, 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 the only thing I insist must be done is you have to start thinking about conference bubbles, and then how you get there is is up to you. And, and, and reasonable people can disagree on it. And I even write in the column, there are lots of different ways to do a bubbled NCAA tournament. My way is one way. Your way is another way. I think they're both possible. I guess I would say this. You keep saying that 
oh, you know, you got 64 teams in one city. Not really. You're going to West Lafayette. I mean, you're going to, to Bloomington. Like, it's, I don't right. like the idea. No, but they're of, housed in the greater Indianapolis area because the greater Indianapolis area has the requisite hotel space to be able to afford okay. all of that. Okay. I, 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 rather than go back and forth on this, here's are what you I saying say. like not all the games? Are you saying it's in battle of semantics with us right now? What I'm saying is that I don't like the idea of players, you know, traveling 70 minutes to go play a game. Like, I don't feel, I don't understand what the benefit of that is relative to. I'll explain just, the benefit to you. Just, with, your, just, with your system, you are bringing in unnecessary multiple sites, multiple cities. We don't know where the virus is going to be there. We don't know where it'll be with Indianapolis either, but I think by centralizing in one area the way that the NBA has done, and the NHL does have two sites, um, unnecessary air travel for the most part. I just think it reduces the risk is all. And yes, it w- would it suck if you were in Indianapolis and staying at the Westin, but you got sent to Mackey and you got to ride a bus 70 minutes both ways as opposed to another team or another eight teams that gets to basically walk down the street to Banker's Life. Yes, that is, but again, it's not going to be perfect. Indianapolis just seems like it's the city that's best equipped other than Vegas to maybe do this. Okay, yeah, I don't want to argue about uh, the the specifics of all of this. I would just say that, um, fine, whatever. At least you're thinking. That's good enough for me. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I would prefer to have four separate bubbles for the regionals, and then you travel to Indianapolis for the final four, and you, you know, quarantine there and, and, and then test, test, test and, and then play it. But whatever, just as long as we we're, we're, we're fundamentally on the same page that you got to do this in a bubble some ways. Uh, I, I guess the the other thing I would say that I would push back on on your schedule is that on one hand, you're getting it done more quickly that, you know, the fewer days it takes, the you know, the, the, the better off it could be in terms of right. you don't have to, you don't have to keep the virus out for three weeks. You just got to keep it out for 14 days, two weeks. Um, I wonder, and I, I'm, though I'm speaking as a CBS employee, I'm not privy to these conversations. I wonder if CBS wouldn't push back on that and say, nah, we're not trying to expedite this thing. We want on, um, on three different Saturdays and Sundays, mm-hmm. NCAA tournament on television, like we have, like, like we're scheduled to have. So that, I think, is something maybe a television network would push back on. Like, we're not trying to rush this thing so that we can't have three Sundays of NCAA tournament basketball. Uh, or, or three Saturdays, I should say. Um, so, so like, but whatever. I know. It's, it's, a valid, it's a valid point. But by extending it, you introduce more risks to games getting canceled by getting positive tests. That's right. My only point is that you got to be thinking along these lines, like whether you subscribe to what Norlander's uh, uh, throwing out or what I'm throwing out or some different version of this, which I'm willing to listen to. It's just that you've got to, you got to go to conference bubbles and you've got to play the NCAA tournament in, in, in bubble, in a bubble, in some form. Um, As for your idea about not having conference tournaments, honestly, that's fine with me. I point out in the column, how you get to, your automatic bid is that's up to you. I'll, you know, and if they decide they don't want to have the conference tournament, that's fine. I do think it provides quote, something to play for at the end for, for the teams that have been eliminated. So there's value in that. But if they decided we'll have conference bubbles, but no conference tournaments, our auto bid is our uh, league champion. That's fine with me. That's not a place to, to quibble. Right. The one place where people have pushed back on me on Twitter is that, you know, you, you can't, you can't take these student athletes and put them in a bubble for 
in some cases, more than two months, which is what it would require. Again, I'm, I'm flying them there January 10th and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're there until, you know, March 7th is selection Sunday. So in some cases it's going to be more than, more than two months, nearly three. If you play in a national title game, um, if the players don't want to do it, I understand. Like I'm not making anybody go, but I, I would assume most schools and most players would want to do this because they're basketball players and they want to play basketball. But if anybody opts out, just like multiple Mets have opted out of the season. Oh, um, we're at multiple now? I missed that. Okay. Jonas Cespedes and then Marcus Stroman. It's okay, a mess. Okay. It's, it's, it's a mess. So passing podcast, we lose another Metropolitan. Okay. Every time. So if, if somebody doesn't want to play for whatever reason, that's fine. We understand. We're not taking your scholarship, and we're not costing you a year of eligibility. So, like, I, I just am operating under the assumption if presented with this option, most coaches would want to would participate. Most leagues would try to participate. Most coaches would be on board. Most players would be on board. The overwhelming majority and then the pushback becomes but because you've heard this in some places well can you really have um you know college basketball if students aren't on campuses and the answer to that is yes you can what is stopping you like especially in a time where most students across this country are going to be learning remotely like if you're a college president looking for cover it's pretty easy to, to grab it. The cover is this. Uh, we are operating under the assumption college campuses are going to be running rampant with the virus. So how is getting student athletes off of campus and into a bubble? How is that? Maybe that's a good thing for the health of student athletes. Maybe we're actually doing something to create a more safe environment for student athletes. Um, and, and if they're going to be relearning remotely anyway, in large part, if not entirely, what is the difference between an Arkansas basketball player learning remotely from an apartment two miles off campus or from a hotel 200 miles or even 2,000 miles from campus? Like there's no actual difference in the way students are going to be learning this year. Like my first grader starts school on Monday. He will be doing it from a classroom we built in one of our bedrooms in this home. Um, so if college basketball players are learning from a hotel room as opposed to uh, their apartment, what is the difference? There's not a difference. And so the, the, I am t- totally open to different variations of all of this. The only thing I'm dismissive of is the we can't do it idea. Because if you, if you subscribe to we can't do it, well, then you're, not gonna, you're probably not going to have it. And if you don't yeah. have it, that is a missed opportunity, not to mention the loss of nearly a billion dollars. I mean, the uh, I had one coach describe to me, and I agree with this assessment, and this was about a week and a half ago, basically say, it doesn't look like we're going to actually be able to have football this season. And if we don't have an NCAA tournament, almost every athletic department in the country gets sent back to the Ice Age. The amount of... Uh, scholarships lost, the inability to field uh, teams left and right. Um, Now, others have said, you know, we were due for something of a course correction, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that because in the past, you know, five, seven, ten years, some spending at the athletic level has just gotten absolutely absurd, and that has gone hand-in-hand with the increased course of, like, why is this money going there and not into the pockets of players? And we've talked about that plenty. Um, But the 
to to your point, GP, the insistence to get this tournament done. I mean, it is. <laughs> they are going. If we don't have a 2021 tournament, it is going to be a massive indictment on our country too. We should just not be in a situation by March, April, or even if we went to do a May tournament where we can't pull this off. Now, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, is you have to have readily available testing and have it be affordable. That has to happen. If you don't have testing for everyone in a situation that's similar to the NBA and the NHL right now, I'm talking every other day minimally, then doing this in the regular season and in the NCAA tournament becomes just basically almost untenable. So that has to be the number one priority. I will scream at every podcast if you cannot test these players and coaches and support staff with regularity you cannot have a season so getting that process in place is absolutely paramount it's why the NCAA is well positioned to have a 2021 tournament because it will make sure it has the means to do that prior to that though can the conferences themselves put themselves in a place where they can do it they're relying in some parts, like on that study from Colorado I mentioned, and potentially in other places, that by the time we get to January, there are one or two, maybe even a third option of testing that is relatively cheap and basically uh, you know, damn near 100% effective. I've heard some people say, yeah, but it costs the NBA $150 million to create this bubble. Is the NCAA really willing to spend that kind of money? And I guess to that I would say this. Um, I don't know what it would cost. I don't know that it would cost $150 million because an NCAA tournament in a bubble wouldn't last as long as this NBA season and postseason is going to last. But let me say this. If it cost $150 million, I'll just make it simple for you. Would you spend $150 million to make $900 million? Come on. I would. Come on now. Let me text my my CPA and see what he says about that. Uh, Hey, I got to spend a hundred. I can either not get my nine hundred million dollars, or I can spend a hundred fifty million dollars to get nine hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. you're you're gonna want to spend spend one hundred fifty to make four fifty. Even if it's not a a sixty four, sixty eight team tournament, and they do thirty two or forty or whatever, they'd still do it without a doubt. They're gonna bring returns on that, and so many schools are relying on that money, particularly schools that don't have football to begin with. Not just schools like in the Big East, but I'm talking obviously mid and low majors as well so gpm it's been a it's, dude it's only tuesday <laughs> it's been a hell of a it's been a hell of a a month this week I'll, I'll definitely say that but talking about this you know what i hope it's not misguided uh optimism but at least you know you know you and i are thinking I, i'll tell you this like someone at the end of listening to this get Parrish's column get my story up tomorrow get it on emmert's desk and when this gets pulled off you know just a, just a little thank you wouldn't wouldn't be the worst thing I don't even need a thank you because I honestly uh, don't even think my idea is that unique of an idea. It's just I'm somebody who uh, does this for a living, who decided to put pen to paper, uh, not necessarily pen to paper, but you get the point. And, <laughs> I, like, and I like the image of you being like, time to write that column. Let me dip out my quill pen and get to work here. Yes. But like, but like in the column, you know, I, I wrote toward the end, like I've provided the framework tinker with it how you like. I'm flexible on the specifics. This is the way I ended the column, but it's a must that something along these lines is planned and deemed executable in the coming months. Otherwise, college basketball could find itself in the same less than ideal spot where college football now sits fighting to do something outside of a bubble. Too many medical officials don't believe will work. You cannot sit around and just hope that you'll be allowed to do this. You've got to plan a different route. And honestly, if the college basketball thing gets planned and works, 
people keep saying right now, well, spring football is not going to happen. What if you decide to do spring football the exact same way? I mean, like that college basketball doing this and making it work could be the key to having spring football. So, you know, I, I just want the people who are actually powerful in the sport, the decision makers, to start thinking, get as creative as you can get. Start, start thinking of a way to actually have this season because college football just tried to hope it away, wish it away. Oh, everything will be fine. That's not an approach. That is a failed mission. College football is paying a price for it right now. College basketball should, should learn from college football's mistake. What's the Mets record right now? Dude, they never win. I, I honestly don't know the record. They, ne- they never win. Bring they were up. down 14 to nothing last night in the sixth inning, 14 to nothing. Oh I come God. home, play, and, and like, we just got to get my little dudes out of the house. So I get home off radio last night. And I'm like, come on, let's go outside. We're going to play baseball. We're going to play catch, and we're going uh, to hit some wiffle balls. And we're out in the front yard doing this. And I get the Bluetooth speaker, set it up outside, streaming the Mets radio broadcast. And I'm like, why do I do this to myself? They're down 14 to nothing. Two players already quit. Why am I more committed to the Mets than their actual players? 412 winning percentage, 7 and 10. Yeah, they're actually they're behind Washington, who's played 12 games. The, the Phillies, who've played 11. Marlins at 7 and 3. My Cubby's just killing it right now, 10 and 3. Great job right there. But yeah, that's that's uh, a little rough. You got a good setup though in that in that backyard. I appreciated the photos. Yeah, the uh, if you got to be trapped at home for months on end, we've 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 created a, a place where it's. Fun you got to yourself be a nice little home. bubble there. Is what you got. I've I've created a, a nice bubble. It didn't cost 150 million, <laughs> but it, it wasn't it wasn't cheap either. I'm really struggling as a sports fan. Mets stink, and the Grizzlies are about to drop to one and in six inside of the bubble. Now, at least with the Grizzlies, it's understandable. They since they got to the bubble, they have lost two starters to season-ending injuries and their backup point guard. So it, it's rough. But man, all I do is sit around and watch teams that I care about lose. And games on the season and the sport that you cover disappear, which is which is more to come. And we'll uh, we'll cover that as need be. Last thing before we get out of here. So, what's your expectation? There are thirty-two conferences. Thirty essentially. Thir- two of them have said uh, that they're not going to play games in the fall. So we got thirty more. Just blind guess. What's the next league? All of them. If you need to bring up that that uh, that page with all the conferences, feel free. But let's just take a guess here. Wrap the pod with this. What will be the next league to announce that it will not be playing? non-conference games in November and December? The Big Ten. You think it'll be the Big Ten? I'm going to say a smaller league. I will say, give me, uh, give me, oh, that's a tough call here. You think it'll be the Big Ten? I, I think they're going to Well, the, the Big Ten and Pac-12 are the two leagues that seem to, to, to be the type of power conferences that don't just try to plunge forward. Like the SEC might really just say, we're, we're doing this no matter what. Um, you know, the South is a different place. But the Big Ten and Pac-12 like to think of themselves as, as different from, say, the Big 12 and the SEC. And I don't even mean that as a slight. I just I, I think it's true. The Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten think that they're different than the SEC and the Big 12. And so I could see the Big Ten being the next to say, yeah, we're going um, gonna to push this down the road. We are going to hope that our country starts behaving differently, that we get these bad trends reversed, and that we're able to play sometime in 2021, but we're not playing anything until 2021. I could see the Big Ten doing that. Okay. Um, 
I'd be tempted to say uh, one of the HBCU-dominated leagues like the SWAC or the MIAC because they're basically dependent upon playing buy games at these leagues, but I think that they'll, they'll wait out until um, those games just don't exist anymore. And I'll actually say the Patriot League, which has not technically done it yet, uh, but is the closest cousin to the Ivy League. So if I had to, if I had to lobby a guess, uh, Patriot League would be my guess at the next one that we'll get, and I I'm not convinced we'll get any of those in the next uh, week or two. But once that's to wrap it up and come full circle, I do think that once we start getting those, that it will not be a coincidence that most of them will come in a very condensed period of time because college basketball's leadership is trying to not do what college football has done here and have some sort of coordinated effort about what kind of season it can have and how it can be pulled off because college basketball is so much more reliant upon non-conference games than college football. And obviously that's a factor of game inventory yeah i was uh, the patriot league was on my short list of of leagues to consider another one the big west mm. i mean it's, it's almost entirely in california and, once and the, hawaii exactly yeah. right yeah so like yeah once once the pac-12 does it like if you're the big west like how many games did the big west lose today with the pac-12 announcement or, or the big sky even so i could see maybe one of those leagues doing it uh as well but either way uh, i think you and i are in agreement most of the leagues are going to do something similar to this um it's just a, a not really a matter of 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 if but a, a matter of when we added things to say let's get it on shouts to Devin downey shouts to chester south carolina shouts to terry mf and teagle legend shouts to larnell please go subscribe to the eye on college basketball podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts in Sincerely, thank you for listening. Once again, in the middle of a pandemic, we don't take that for granted. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell one person about it. And I promise we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.